Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, April 25th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Apologies, by the way, we should say at the top for a slight uh, back-end production issue yesterday that some of you may have experienced when trying to listen to yesterday's podcast. I experienced it. <laughs> and it's it's frustrating, so we do apologize. Um, and if you listened a little bit later in the day, it all should have been fixed. Yes. Though we do want to begin today's podcast with a special, exciting announcement. We have officially launched Mo News Premium. Mosh, I finally figured out how to do the sound effects on Riverside. Yes, <laughs> yes we, this is the first time using the sound effects. Well-deserved. We've officially launched the Mo News website, mo.news. It'll be the central place soon for our reporting. Right now, mo.news is the place where you can join the Mo News team through Mo News Premium. It is a way to support what we're doing, but also gain access to extra content. So among the benefits, we have launched a members-only podcast feed where you'll get early access to special episodes and interviews, behind-the-scenes content, and the chance to engage directly with the Mo News team. We're going to be doing episodes where we just answer your questions. Right now, premium members have access to a special interview with The Points Guy, Brian Kelly, on all things travel, credit cards, and how to get the best deals. If you head over to mo.news slash premium, you can sign up today. Yeah, so Mo News Premium members will have access to our special premium podcast, early access to episodes, unique episodes, exclusive content. You will also, if you sign up for premium, have access to a private Instagram account where we will be sharing more behind-the-scenes content, deeper dives, additional interviews, more lives. We should say at the top, Jill, we remain committed here at Mo News to providing you with daily news coverage via Instagram, our daily podcast, for free. Our core coverage here will remain free, none of it hidden behind a paywall. We do believe that factual, reliable reporting is vital, and we're determined to make that available to everybody. At the same time, though, Mo News Premium is a way for you to support our work, which will help us keep doing what we're doing and also grow this service. And the benefit for you is you get to access more content. Mo News Premium is available at $7 a month or 70 bucks a year, which means you'd get two months for free. We're also offering a special deal for Mo News podcast listeners. For this week only, if you use the code MONEWSPOD, you'll get your first month of premium for free. Yeah, so definitely go check it out right now as you're listening to this podcast, mo.news slash premium, the new site. And when you sign up for an annual or monthly membership, throw in Mo News Pod and you will get an extra month free. We're really looking forward to continuing to grow our offerings here. And we're so grateful for everyone's support. And with that, let's get to some headlines. A wild, wild day in cable news. And that is kind of an understatement, Moshe. <laughs> Even by cable news standards, Jill. Um, Tucker Carlson, shockingly out at Fox. Don Lemon out at CNN. Maybe that's a little less shocking, but we're going to break down the latest in the media world coming up. Book bans in the U.S. are at their highest level in 20 years, which titles top the list. On to politics. Today is the big day for Joe Biden, who is reportedly ready to make it official that he is running for re-election. The federal trial for the Tree of Life synagogue shooter that starts this week in Pittsburgh. The Supreme Court dealing a blow to oil companies by turning away climate cases. Move over China. India is about to become the most populous country in the world. Why Europe is destroying Miller Lite cans and a major trade in the NFL world. 
Plus, Moshe has on this day in history. It was a big day for some of the most classic TV shows of the 80s, Jill. We will uh, quiz you on whether you watched any of them. <laughs> I definitely did. Okay, let's start with the seismic changes in cable news on Monday. Fox News host Tucker Carlson and CNN host Don Lemon both abruptly fired from their cable outlets on Monday following a series of controversies. So just hours before Fox News announced Carlson's departure in a statement, the network was still promoting his primetime show, indicating just how sudden this separation was. Fox News said in a statement, Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have agreed to part ways. We thank him for his service to the network as host and prior to that as a contributor. It turns out Carlson's last program was Friday. The departure was immediate. Carlson was by far the most popular individual host on Fox News. He averaged more than 3 million viewers a night. But he also brought a lot of controversy to the network on a regular basis with his provocative views on immigration and race, which did alienate some advertisers. Now, over at CNN, Lemon was on the air Monday morning, just hours before the announcement around noon. CEO Chris Licht said in a statement that the network wishes Don Lemon well and will cheer him on as he pursues future endeavors. Licht wrote, Don will forever be a part of the CNN family. We thank him for his contributions over the last 17 years. Lemon shared the news in a statement on Twitter. He said, I was informed this morning by my agent that I have been terminated by CNN. I am stunned. At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to continue to do the work that I loved at the network. It is clear that there are some larger issues at play. Lemon recently lost his primetime show and was moved to the mornings where they've had limited success picking up viewers. And that show remains the lowest rated morning show among network and major cable outlets with about 350,000 viewers a day. Yeah, Jill, as you said at the top, the Lemon News, not as surprising. The Tucker News, a shocker. And that includes people at Fox I spoke to on Monday who were genuinely surprised at just the abrupt nature of the departure. But both of these guys have had their fair share of controversy. The LA Times reports that the decision to fire Tucker Carlson came straight from the top, literally Rupert Murdoch, with input from board members and other Fox Corporation executives. His exit is apparently, according to the LA Times, related to the discrimination lawsuit filed by a former producer, Abby Grossberg, who was fired by the network last month. Carlson's senior executive producer, Justin Wells, was also terminated. In that lawsuit, Grossberg alleged that she was bullied and subjected to misogynistic and anti-Semitic comments while working on that show. According to the Times, Murdoch also was said to be concerned about Tucker Carlson's coverage of January 6th. He's been promoting conspiracy theories for a while now that the January 6th events were provoked by the government itself without presenting verified evidence. And this all comes on the heels of that settlement we told you about last week, the $787 million settlement Fox agreed to with Dominion Voting Systems of which Carlson's coverage was part. As far as reaction, Jill, among those reacting to the Carlson departure include former Fox talent. That includes Megyn Kelly, who was a host there for many years. She then eventually left for NBC, now does her own thing. She said that she thought this was actually great for Tucker, but bad for Fox, and noted that if this is about the Dominion lawsuit, that Fox still employs several hosts who said much worse stuff, much more defamatory things, including Maria Bartiromo and Judge Jeanine Pero, who remain employed 
by Fox as we record this podcast. Megyn Kelly uh, doing her own thing. She has her podcast. Uh, she left Fox for NBC. She was fired by NBC, though. Um, but she has made it in independent media. Um, I was listening to her podcast Monday. She and her guests think that this is a huge mistake for Fox, just not really understanding their audience. And as you just mentioned, their thinking is that if this had anything to do with Dominion, he was the wrong target here because he was minimally involved. Though at the same time, Jill, there are a number of issues with Tucker, and it comes as, a, as there's a larger issue uh, when it comes to Fox News opinion hosts basically going their own direction and executives there having very little control over what they're saying. There have been a number of people who've left the network because they're just like, listen, Tucker isn't really concerned about facts here anymore, and I can't be a part of it. So clearly there were concerns about Tucker in the C-suite. We don't know the details of how this went down or whether there was any sort of private agreement related to that uh, Dominion settlement. But there are many people who were very happy to hear this news on Monday, Jill, just because of how Tucker has been reporting on things, how he's been manipulating certain stories, and a feeling that some of what he's been doing is actually dangerous for our democracy, etc. That's among the commentary that you heard that would be on the other end of the pendulum for Megyn Kelly. As far as independent media, uh, you noted Kelly's doing her own thing. Bill O'Reilly, uh, who was also fired from Fox for sexual misconduct, he's been doing his own thing with a website and a podcast. Glenn Beck, another former Fox person who has his own media company, has his own podcast, etc. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. I imagine Tucker will be able to very quickly get back up on his feet. Among those probably shocked by the news, Tucker Carlson himself. If you listen to how he signed off from his show on Friday, See you guys next week. <laughs> Have a great week. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt anyway that there was absolutely no indication that he knew that this was coming. Not at all. You can imagine there were negotiations over the weekend since this popped uh, Monday morning. And as you mentioned earlier, they were promoting his show on Monday morning before this announcement went down at Fox. Someone I know there described just complete shock in the newsroom when it went down on Monday. But let's get back to the lemon firing over at CNN, the other big media story we were watching. Because while he says he was surprised by this whole thing, it does come on the heels of a number of reports that have not been very good to him recently, including a major variety story that went into a litany of misogynistic things he has said and done over the course of the past 20 years and multiple co-worker complaints, particularly women who work with him, who say his comments, actions, uh, text messages over the last decade have been extremely offensive, inappropriate. These are comments he's made about women on the air, off the air. Recently, he told one contributor on air on CNN she must have mommy brain because she forgot something. That was S.E. Cup, uh, who responded to him by saying, no, I just forgot something. And then you have the story we went into in February where he made headlines saying that former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who's running for president, is not in her prime at age 51. She had been criticizing older politicians. And he went after her saying, like, who is she to talk? She's not even in her prime. A woman is in her prime in her 20s, 30s, and maybe 40s. Google it. So he dealt with fallout from those remarks where he had to apologize to his colleagues. And so there's just a long litany here of issues. And keep in mind, when you're running a cable news network, the first thing you look at is ratings. And he didn't seem to be helping when it comes to viewership. So that probably reinforced the CNN decision. As far as the question as to whether this was coordinated, since this coincidence is sort of crazy, Jill, uh, speaking to people at both networks, they did not know what the other network was up to. This just happens to be a Monday in the media world where two major <laughs> firings took place. At least that's what I've been told so far. 
If you are interested in just the backstory with Don Lemon, I know you mentioned the variety piece. I do recommend um, people read it. In that piece, Mosh, one of the most uh, shocking pieces of reporting I thought was had to do with his relationship with Kira Phillips. And according to to this variety piece, at one point she had uh, she had just come back from reporting in Iraq and had received some threatening text messages. Um, the network allegedly investigated it, and apparently they were traced back to Don Lemon. Yeah, a lot of problematic stuff over the years, Jill. Okay, Mo, switching gears here. Uh, now to the latest on book bans in America. Some new data out this week notes that calls to ban books have hit their highest level ever recorded in the United States. Demands to censor, most often for gender themes or sexual detail, rose 38% year on year in 2022. The list of banned books was released by the American Library Association to mark the start of National Libraries Week. It shows that titles were challenged most often because they contained LGBTQ plus representation or content that the complainants deemed sexually explicit. The list is normally a top 10, but this year was expanded to include 13 titles because multiple books received the same number of challenges. The book Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe being last year's most challenged title. It is a graphic novel memoir about gender identity. And second was All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Mason, another memoir, this time about the author's childhood, adolescence, and college years growing up Black and queer. So, Jill, looking at the numbers here from the American Library Association, last year there were requests to ban 2,571 titles. That is up 38% from the just over 1,800 titles that were requested banned in 2021. As you mentioned, most of the books for which removal requests were made were written by or about members of the LGBTQ community or people of color. Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye was challenged for depictions of sexual abuse, with the people complaining, saying that the sexual abuse described in the book was too sexually explicit. And this comes, Jill, and we've talked about this on the podcast, as there's been a number of political moves across the U.S. to restrict books available in public or school libraries in Missouri, a state senator there has added an amendment to a bill about anti-child trafficking, which criminalizes anyone who makes visually explicit materials available at a school. Over in Utah, school libraries now require permission slips for students to borrow books covering any themes related to LGBTQ matters. And it comes as uh, some Republicans have been targeting drag story hours where drag storytellers introduce children to new books about LGBTQ themes. In Florida, three state laws were passed last year aimed in part at reading or educational materials among the books removed from circulation. One of the state's school districts are Toni Morrison's Beloved and Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. Some teachers and librarians say the policies are vague with imprecise language and broad requirements leading to some confusion but they are trying to comply. Violation of the law could be a third-degree felony. In general, such crimes are punishable by up to five years in prison. Florida ranks second behind Texas as the state with the highest number of book removals, according to another report. Just recently in March, the Florida House passed a bill that could require schools to remove a book promptly based on a single complaint from a parent or resident that the book depicts sexual conduct. Under the bill, the book would then remain unavailable until the complaint is resolved, making things very busy for librarians out there, Jill. It is something that we're dealing with in New York as well. I've heard from some parents who would definitely not be considered conservative, 
concerned about the visuals, particularly in the book Gender Queer. Just a reminder, not all of these books are made equal. Right. We're talking about 2,500 books here. Some where you're like, really, they banned that. And somewhere you might be surprised at the depictions, etc. So I think it's important here to literally and figuratively read between the lines here, Jill, um, as we watch these debates unfold. There's obviously a lot of politics at play here. And yet at the same time, uh, a real discussion about what types of books are appropriate at what age for kids. All right, we have a lot more to get to in today's podcast, but we want to thank our big sponsor this week, Hold On. Just coming off of Earth Day, it is more important than ever for us to make thoughtful changes that help make an impact when it comes to taking care of Mother Earth. And it can start with some very small things, including what type of sandwich bag or trash bag you use. And so we're very happy here at Mo News to be partnering with Hold On, one word, Hold On, is a company that is all about finding a better way to go about our daily chores, trash bags, kitchen bags are necessary staples, but it turns out they don't need to be 100% plastic to get the job done. Hold on trash and kitchen bags are heavy duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. We've been using them in our kitchen here in Brooklyn, and it feels good to be part of the movement away from single-use plastics. Hold on bags break down in a matter of weeks instead of decades or centuries, and they're offering right now a special deal to the Mo News audience. If you head over right now to holdonbags.com slash monews or enter monews at checkout, you can save 20% off your order of bags. Again, that is holdonbags.com, H-O-L-D-O-N bags.com slash monews to receive 20% off your order. Okay, time now for the speed read from NBC News. By the time you hear this story on Tuesday, it may already be official President Biden is planning to announce his reelection as soon as today through a campaign video. It was reportedly filmed recently and is ready to go. Biden and his aides have targeted today for the release of the video to coincide with the four year anniversary of his 2020 campaign launch. Biden has for a while signaled that he planned to run for a second term, but has held off an official announcement as he and his aides felt no urgency to launch a campaign. On Monday, he told everybody to, quote, stay tuned. Jill, in yet another indication that he is in, if you needed another one, we learned Monday via controlled leak, you can say from the White House, that a senior West Wing official and longtime Democratic Party activist will manage his reelection campaign. Her name is Julie Chavez Rodriguez. She currently serves as a senior advisor and assistant to the president. She previously worked on then-Senator Kamala Harris's presidential campaign in 2020 before joining the White House. Notably, Chavez Rodriguez is the granddaughter of Cesar Chavez, the famous labor and civil rights leader. Biden memorializes Chavez in the Oval Office with a prominent bust of him. This year, there's a variety of rows named after Chavez that's also blooming in the White House Rose Garden. Jill, we're going to be going into this for the next year and a half or so. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) (laughs) But we should note there are legitimate questions about Biden's age here. He's already the oldest American president. He's set to be 82 on re-election, 86 at the end of a second term. And a recent NBC News survey out over the weekend showed that 70% of adults in the country do not believe Biden should run for another term. Only 26% believe he should. The numbers are obviously slightly better among Democrats than Republicans. That's an overall average I just gave you. But that's going to be an issue here. And it does come, as we should say, Donald Trump is leading the Republican field. And a majority of Americans also don't want him to be president. And that is where we find ourselves at the end of April 2023. 
Okay, from the Washington Post, the federal trial for the Tree of Life synagogue shooting started in Pittsburgh on Monday. 50-year-old Robert Bowers is accused of carrying out the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history, fatally shooting 11 people and wounding two others at a Pittsburgh synagogue back in 2018. He is accused of entering the synagogue, which housed three separate congregations, and using an AR-15 assault rifle and three handguns to carry out the attack while shouting anti-Semitic slurs. He faces 63 counts in the massacre. The charges include alleged hate crimes and gun-related offenses that could make him eligible for the death penalty if he's found guilty. Jury selection for the trial could take weeks, considering that the attack in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood, a longtime Jewish area, drew widespread media attention. Authorities say Bowers regularly posted anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, white nationalist diatribes on a social media site called Gab, which is very popular with right-wing extremists and neo-Nazis. He reportedly targeted the synagogue after learning that the congregation was involved in a program to assist refugees. Attorneys representing Bowers have sought a plea agreement that would have resulted in just a life in prison sentence and no trial, but fellow prosecutors have rejected that offer. They wanted this to go to trial and they want to pursue the death penalty here. We don't normally see trials like this, Mosh, because in in most of these mass shootings, the shooter uh, winds up being killed or you, you know usually doesn't make it out alive uh, after the massacre. So it, it, it's going to be just gut-wrenching to watch this. Jill, there have been a few of these cases and, and they have been gut-wrenching. We saw it happen uh, with the Parkland shooter down in Florida, the Buffalo supermarket mass shooter are among the cases where the community has had to sort of relive the attack. In this case, in Pittsburgh, this has set off a variety of emotions. The community has long sought justice here against Bowers, but are also concerned that elevating this case, covering the coverage of this case, will spark even more anti-Semitism. Last year was the biggest year ever for anti-Semitic incidents nationwide, according to the Anti-Defamation League. The U.S. saw a 36% increase from the year before, and that's the most since they've been collecting data since the late 70s. Some more news from the Supreme Court. From NBC News, the Supreme Court on Monday allowed lawsuits brought by municipalities seeking to hold energy companies accountable for climate change to move forward. The court turned away oil company appeals in five cases involving claims brought by cities and municipalities in Colorado, Maryland, California, Hawaii, and Rhode Island. It is part of their efforts to hold businesses accountable for the effects of climate change. The relatively narrow legal issue is whether the lawsuits should be heard in state court instead of federal court. This matters because conventional wisdom anyway is that plaintiffs have a better chance of winning damage awards in a state court. The president of an environmental group said in response to this decision by the Supreme Court, big oil companies have been desperate to avoid trials in state courts where they'll be forced to defend their climate lies in front of juries. And today, the Supreme Court declined to bail them out. So oil companies are expressing disappointment here with the decision, saying they don't think climate change should be dealt with and they shouldn't be fined for it uh, in courts. In all five cases, companies, including BP, Chevron, Shell, have lost in the lower courts. The municipalities, the areas suing, say they have been harmed by the effects of climate change caused by carbon emissions that the oil companies are heavily responsible for. And it is interesting here, Jill, because the Supreme Court has sort of gone back and forth. There have been some wins for oil companies. In this case, this is a loss. On a separate legal issue last year, the court ruled to limit the authority of the EPA to address climate change under a provision of the Clean Air Act, saying that Congress basically has to change the law in order for the EPA to have more authority. 
And so it will be interesting here to watch the cases unfold here and see what sort of penalties we will see levied against some of these oil companies. From the Associated Press, a Louisville police officer who fired the fatal shot that killed Breonna Taylor has a new job in law enforcement in a county northeast of the city. The Carroll County Sheriff's Office on Saturday confirmed the hiring of Miles Cosgrove. He was fired from the Louisville Metro Police Department in January of 2021. He lost his job for violating use of force procedures and failing to use a body camera during the raid on Taylor's apartment. About a dozen people showed up in the area that he was hired Monday morning to protest his hiring, holding signs and chanting, Cosgrove has got to go. Just looking back here, investigators found that Cosgrove fired 16 rounds into the apartment after Breonna Taylor's front door was breached during the 2020 raid. Thinking it was an intruder breaking in when the police were raiding the apartment, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend fired a shot from a handgun at the officers. The officers then returned fire, killing Breonna Taylor in her hallway. In an FBI investigation later determined that Cosgrove and another officer struck Taylor and that Cosgrove likely fired the fatal shot. Neither officer was charged in a 2020 state grand jury case. And a two-year investigation by the FBI also cleared both men of charges, which I guess opened up Cosgrove to being rehired here. From Reuters, India's population expected to match China's by the end of this week and then surpass it as the world's most populous country, according to the United Nations. The announcement by the U.N.'s Department of Economic and Social Affairs comes days after the U.N. Population Fund said last week that India would have 2.9 million more people than China by the middle of this year. India's population is expected to reach 1.42 billion by the end of this month. UN population officials have said it wasn't possible to pinpoint a date because of uncertainty relating to data from India and China, with India's last census held in 2011 and the next, which had been due in 2021, being delayed by the pandemic. Yeah, so it might be the case that India is already the most populous country on Earth here. China's population reached its peak last year at also 1.42 billion, but has already started to fall. Projections indicate that the size of China's population could drop below a billion before the end of this century. By contrast, India's population is expected to continue to grow for several more decades. Jill, the bottom line here is this means a lot for future economic growth and is one of the reasons you saw the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, in India recently opening up stores there, moving operations there. A number of companies, people, countries making a bet that the Indian economy will continue to grow as their population grows. And major news from the sports world, this from CBS Sports. After 18 years with the Green Bay Packers, future Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the New York Jets. It was a move that seemed like it was a long time coming after Rodgers declared his intent was to play for the Jets. Well, now the deal is done. New York sent multiple future draft picks to Green Bay in exchange for Rodgers and a couple of draft picks. Rodgers went into the offseason leaning toward retirement, he said in a recent interview, but realized during a meditation retreat that he'd like to keep playing. But the Packers were ready to move on after 18 years. And now Rodgers is moving on. Yeah, football fans will probably be reminded by the fact that this is not the first time this has happened for the star QB of the Green Bay Packers. In fact, Rodgers' career started around the future of the previous franchise legend. 
So this was 15 years ago. At the time, the Green Bay Packers were effectively done with Brett Favre, who was leading the team. They wanted to put in a much younger QB named Aaron Rodgers, who was just in after three years. And so what did they do? They traded Brett Favre to who else? The New York Jets. So now we find ourselves 15 years later. The Packers have had their fill of Aaron Rodgers. As you said, Jill, he meditated. He was ready to move on, but he still wants to play. The Packers are like, yeah, you're not going to do it here. We have a new young QB named Jordan Love. And so what did the Packers do? They traded Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. As Mark Twain once wrote, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Most for many people like yours truly, um, we were really introduced to Aaron Rodgers when he was the guest host on Jeopardy, which was apparently a longtime goal of his. Yeah, we'll see if he needs that gig at some point. Obviously, he's nearing the end of his career here, so we'll see how long he lasts with the Jets. There's actually an incentive for him to play the majority of games. So we'll see how the next season goes for him. But he is going to need another gig at some point in the near future. From Axios, Belgian customs workers crushed an entire shipment, 2,352 cans of Miller High Life over its cheeky slogan, the Champagne of Beers. The Comité Champagne, which is a trade association, asked that the cans be destroyed. The group argued that quote, champagne, should only be used to describe bottles of sparkling wine made with the traditional method from Champagne, France. Miller High Life has been calling itself champagne since 1903. Couldn't they just send them back? They had to destroy them? They're proving a point, Jill. It's Europe, and they take these things very seriously because no matter how popular the slogan champagne of beers is in the U.S., It is incompatible with European Union rules, which make clear that goods infringing on a protected designation of origin can be treated as counterfeit. This is something to take very seriously in the EU. Like Parmesan cheese can only come from a certain region of Italy. Champagne can only come from Champagne, France. And typically we've heard about this in regards to other sparkling wines not being able to call themselves champagne. Clearly no one can confuse Miller High Life for champagne, but the Belgians just wanted to be sure here. They intercepted it in the Belgian port of Antwerp. Apparently, the shipment of beers was headed to Germany. It's unclear who the end customer was, but apparently they were made aware of this and understood that their shipment of more than 2,000 beers needed to be crushed, literally, by the Belgians. Wait, Moshe, were you a fan of Schitt's Creek? Loved it. Um, you know, when they used to drink champagne, it always used to make me laugh. Jill, you cannot call it champagne unless it's from Champagne, France. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jill, now time for On This Day, on this April 25th. We're going to start in the 1800s. In 1859, construction officially began of the Suez Canal today. It would be completed 10 years later, and it is the waterway that connects the Mediterranean and Red Seas, one of the most important pathways for shipping even today. All right, here in the U.S., on this day in 1901, the state of New York became the first U.S. state to mandate license plates with a law ordering all automobiles and motorcycles to display the separate initials of the owner's name placed on the back of the vehicle. All right, fast forward here to the 1940s. On this day in 1940, the Joker makes his debut in the comic book, Batman. And a couple years later, a little politics, in 1947, President Truman officially opened the first White House bowling alley. It was a two-lane bowling alley. He ended up using it. Uh, Eisenhower ended up converting it to something else. They would eventually build other bowling alleys in the White House. So if you are ever so lucky to be able to bowl in the White House, that is not the original Truman bowling alley, even though he was the first one to really want to be able to 
play the sport every day. Look, there are certain things that may seem like indulgences, but presidents need to unwind. And it's not like they can just roll into a bowling alley, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I guess it makes sense. Right. I, I, I did a whole history of the White House swimming pool a couple months ago on the Instagram feed, Jill. The original swimming pool built by FDR, used by Kennedy, including used by Kennedy for some of his uh, dalliances and relationships. Uh, that eventually would go away. That's where the White House press room is today. There's now an outdoor pool. Bill Clinton at one point apparently funded the construction of a hot tub as... <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not surprised to hear that. <laughs> File under least shocking presidential news. By the way, if anyone listening to this is interested, I have a whole deep dive over on the Mo News Premium Instagram account. If you're looking for another incentive to join us at Mo News Premium, we told you about it at the top of the podcast. We will be uh, doing deep dives like that over on uh, that Instagram account. All right, Jill, as I told you about earlier, today was a big day for 80s TV shows. In fact, it was the series finale on this day in 1992, 31 years ago, we saw the last episode of Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, and MacGyver. That's pretty shocking that Who's the Boss and Growing Pains both ended on the same day because their audience is pretty much the exact same demographic. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and you. Right, Joe. They aired on ABC. ABC would come up with, I think they ended up having some other solid hits there in the 90s, Home Improvement, they had TGI Fridays. But those were a couple of iconic shows there from the 80s. And of course, MacGyver, you know, continues to live on as a cultural reference and meme even to this day. My husband likes to tell me that his first TV crush was um, Samantha, Alyssa Milano from uh, Who's the Boss? All right, Jill, we'll end with a bit of music news. First, 53 years ago today, ABC 123 by the Jackson 5 reached number one on the Billboard charts on this day in 1970. And as we do here, a bit of 90s nostalgia. Take a listen. <laughs> Can you name it? Mosh, I don't think I know the name of the song. I definitely don't know who sings it, but it is uh, giving me some high school vibes. Yes, 25 years ago today, that is Too Close by Next. It reached number one on the Billboard charts this week in 1998. All right, a big thank you to everybody for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And a reminder to head over to mo.news right now to go sign up for Mo News Premium. If you use the code Mo News Pod this week, you will get a free month. It'll give you access to our new subscribers-only podcast, of which we have a number of episodes already available for you, as well as a private Instagram account. Again, that is Mo News Premium over at mo.news. Sign up today. All right, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.